I'm Charlie Wilmoth. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome back to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm here with David Todd. And David, we're going to start off today with some news, you know, a little bit of news about Chris LaRue and Jeff Carstens, two players who are currently injured. Tell us what's up. Yeah, Carstens, uh, Neil Huntington spoke on his weekly radio show before the Pirate game yesterday. An update on Carstens. He was expected to start throwing Monday. That seems to have gone as planned um, and has been throwing a little bit this week. Now, uh, as we talked about with this injury, once you're shut down on the DL and, and the confirmation from Dr. James Andrews that there wasn't damage in the elbow and the shoulder, obviously, is the good news. But once you're shut down and you take two weeks off, then there's a, the process of rebuilding the arm strength and, and getting some uh, you know professional experience again before you get back to the major league level. So Carson's has just started throwing. If I you know if I'm just guessing from what I've heard and kind of the little bit I've read, uh, I would expect Carson's not to go out on a rehab start until probably toward the end of this month. So maybe two weeks from now. So maybe he goes out mid to late May and makes uh, a rehab start, assuming everything goes according to plan from here. And I would think kind of from from what we talked about at the very beginning, uh, Jeff Carstens comes back mid-June. Then the obvious question is, what role does Jeff Carstens have? Uh, the Pirates not only have the five starters in the rotation now, Brad Lincoln's pitched very well. Neil Huntington commented that once, uh, if they needed to go to another starter today, it would certainly be Brad Lincoln. With Carson's breaking down at the end of last year and breaking down so early this year, you wonder what kind of role the Pirates would bring him back in, if he would be a swingman, a spot starter, a longman. I think that's one of the more interesting decisions we're going to see for this organization. Certainly, Carson's uh, probably has earned the shot to come back and be a starter since he was, so, you can argue, the most effective Pirate starter last year. But, uh, you know, if, if he can't stay in the rotation uh, because of just wear and tear, you know, it's tougher to put him back in there. So it'll be interesting to see. Certainly it will, it will depend somewhat on how everybody else performs. But uh, we can talk about that, Charlie, uh, where Karstens goes when it gets a little bit closer to, to uh, seeing seeing him come back. LaRue, not a huge update. Uh, he went down, as you'll remember, he was put on the 60-day DL the day before the Pirates had to make their last roster decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, four to six weeks was the initial diagnosis. He said it was right on plan. At four weeks, he started throwing. He's been throwing, I think, for about 10 days now. And he said uh, that there's no – it was a, a, a tear in his – uh, in his chest muscle, his, I don't know if it was his uh, pectoral or exactly what the muscle was, but he said there's no issue with the chest anymore. Seven to ten days, he's felt no discomfort in the chest, and now it's just building his arm strength back up. He said his shoulder actually feels better than it did before the injury. Obviously, the issue with him, he doesn't have any options left, so when the Pirates do decide to bring him back, he's going to get a spot in the bullpen. So I, I imagine he'll uh, they'll take their time on the 60-day here getting him back, and he will – I would also guess use the full amount of rehab time uh, to test it, to get everything back uh, in working order and the, so the Pirates can evaluate him before they bring him back. So he, he might even take longer than Carson's. He might be kind of, you know, it's potentially he could be an all-star break type of thing, but certainly I would think the back half of June at the earliest. So that, that's kind of an update on those two guys. Charlie, let's talk about what happened over the weekend. The Pirates are continuing this uh, somewhat odd little win-lose sequence. They, they lost two games in a row there, uh, I guess, at the beginning of the month uh, with St. Louis. But uh, essentially, they've won and lost alternating games for about the past 15 games. 
the games they lose haven't been as pretty lately. They were in all these games uh, going into kind of seven or eight days ago, and now they've been taking a thumping here on, on a few of these. They lost ten to seven and twelve to three to St. Louis. They lost six to one to Cincinnati and five to nothing to Cincinnati. Whereas, you know, they've scored some runs finally. For the first time, they broke through that 15-run barrier with the nine runs in Atlanta. They followed that with uh, with seven runs against St. Louis. Um, but, but uh, you know, is there any cause for, for concern here? Or is this team at 12 and 16, four games under 500, kind of having played the, the toughest uh, schedule in the major leagues right where we expected them to be? I think they're about about where we expected them to be. You know, wins like, or losses like the one we saw yesterday where they lose 5 nothing, strike out 17 times, and really just generally don't show a lot are disappointing, but they're kind of par for the course for any team that's, that's basically going to be, you know, uh, a team that wins uh, in a total of about the low 70s as we expected. Uh, I think that's, that's basically how they've played so far. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they perform in the upcoming series against the national the nationals which has been a very very good uh, pitching team so far you know this is a uh, a team that is you know the struggle this past series against the reds and you know the nationals pitching staff is is much better that the pirates bad offense has been a, a theme the entire year pretty much with the with the exception of you know a few games in the in the st louis series and and before that so so, you know, scoring runs is, is going to continue to be the name of the game going forward. Charlie, two things here. One is here we are. We talked about how quick with Rob Nyer. We talked about how quickly the standings start to take shape. Certainly some anomalies uh, out there, maybe more so in the American League than the National League. But, I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out right now that the Pirates have the second, the, the third worst record in the National League. Now, they're not far from being, you know, the middle of the pack. Um, a, a three-game winning streak, and they're right in there with everybody else. But when we talk about things taking shape, the Padres are at nine and twenty, the Cubs are at 11, seven, 11 and seventeen, and the Pirates in Milwaukee are right there at twelve and sixteen with the next worst records. Uh, not that not that they're going to get out of touch from the race or anything like that. The attendance has been great; it's up eighty-five thousand over last year um, through the number of games that they've played at home so far. Uh, about uh, I, I think that I think they played ten home. Uh, how many home games did they played? They played uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I, twelve. Twelve home games, right? So eighty-five thousand. You can do the math on that. They're averaging like about seven more, uh, seven thousand more a game. Which if they just did the same the rest of the season, you get about a thousand more uh, per game. So I- interesting to see how that plays out. The fan base has obviously been there. When if you're averaging twenty-five thousand, all positive stuff. But, you know, they're going to play a team here in Washington that's 18 and 10, which is really the model I think the Pirates would aspire to. This is where the Pirates would like to have been at this point. Washington now with Bryce Harper coming up uh, 10 days ago uh, with Steven Strasburg pitching uh, Thursday night here in Pittsburgh and with all the other things that organization seems to have going with Adam LaRoche having an unbelievably good start to the season at first base. I mean, this is uh, this is what the Pirates hope to be, but maybe is it the fact that the Nationals went out and spent money uh, on guys who have been productive, Charlie, or is it that the guys that they have and they've developed through the system, even with the injuries they've suffered, uh, are better players than what the Pirates have? I think it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, they got really lucky with the, having two number one picks in the draft in years when there were sort of once-in-a-generation talents coming through. I mean, Strasburg was, you know, the best pitcher to come through the draft and, you know, maybe ever. Uh, Bryce Harper was one of the best 
hitting talents to come through the draft since what I don't know Joe Maurer, Alex Rodriguez. I'm not really sure. You know, he might. The answer might be you know in a long time. But yeah, Alex Rodriguez. I think is the right answer. Right. I, I mean, so they got really lucky in that sense, and Pirates fans have have kind of bemoaned. Uh, the fact that the Pirates have, have not gotten similarly lucky to have drafted number one overall in seasons where there's a, a player like that available. But, you know, on the on the other hand, they've also, the Nationals have also thrown a lot of, of money and a lot of talent around uh, at, at, at guys like Edwin Jackson and Gio Gonzalez. Right. So... You know, it's 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 a balance of both, and it's it, it's good for them. I'm not sure how many wins they're going to end up with with for the season, but you know, there's there's really been a, a sort of wave of of good things happening for them recently. Yeah, I think that's well said. A, a couple of things just to point out for Pirate fans as uh, obviously they come into town Tuesday night, three games. Adam LaRoche, just to bring you up to speed, everybody knows how bad Adam LaRoche was in April's in Pittsburgh, really in the first half in Pittsburgh. Adam LaRoche has an OPS plus of 148 and an OPS of 903. Uh, he's got four homers and 17 RBIs on the season. Really a guy who probably wouldn't have played if Michael Morris hadn't gotten hurt during spring training. Maybe uh, LaRoche doesn't even get every day at bats. So he's there playing. And just to the flip side of that is Xavier Nady. has gotten a fair number of bats, and he has been god-awful. Uh, in 62 plate appearances, he's hitting 119 with a 161 on base percentage and a 186 slugging percentage for a minus four OPS plus. I mean, that makes Rod Barajas look uh, downright uh, Alvarezian. And then uh, Jason Worth apparently broke his ankle, uh, broke his wrist uh, yesterday, so we don't know. I, I assume that means he's out for an extended period of time. And then on the pitching side, Sean Burnett, uh, who was in the in the Joel Hanrahan trade, he has uh, made now. Uh, ten appearances for the Nationals, seven and two-thirds innings, only giving up five hits, two walks. He's got ten strikeouts and an ERA of zero. So good stuff there. And as you mentioned, their starters have been absolutely killing it across the board. Um, some really fabulous numbers. So it'll be an interesting st- series for the Pirates. The Nationals also have had trouble scoring runs. We talked about their lineup and, you know, the young guys that they have who are really uh, high expectations for the catcher, Wilson Ramos, second baseman, Danny Espinosa, and Ian Desmond, the shortstop, all young talented guys really have not produced at all here offensively early in the season so they went through a bit of a losing streak but they still stand atop the national league east at 18 and 10 if we can go back to the the former pirates who are with the the nationals now uh xavier nady is is just a bad player and he has been for for a while almost since he's been since he was traded from the pirates um so i'm not i'm not actually sure what he's still doing in a big league uniform what about laroche it's it's interesting to me that uh, you know, we've heard, I think Wilbur Miller said on the site recently that Adam LaRoche's bad Aprils with the Pirates were probably just, just a fluke. Uh, and the fact that he's kind of lighting it up now, you know, shouldn't be seen as this big turnaround. But just, you know, rather that's just the way the statistics crumble or something like that. And intellectually, I can believe that. I can buy that. But it's kind of amazing to me to actually think of it that way when I when I look back and I remember the way LaRoche looked when we watched him in April you know how often the bat was just on his shoulder and how often he had that that deer in the headlights look in his eyes is this trend just a just a fluke or is is this something he's figured out now is this something he's changed I it's a great question I don't have an answer when you see it repeatedly when you see it kind of through the first half not just April you just wonder uh you wonder if the environment contributed to that you know playing on the pirate team just uh, when you Mm. saw him start to hit you the approach didn't look dramatically different but it looked like he would get locked in 
I mean, you know, at least when, you know, when, and we're going to get to Pedro again, and it just always right now seems to come back to Pedro, but <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I, I think it's the right analogy because when you look at Pedro, when you saw how bad things were in spring training in, in the stretch on the West Coast, it looked so bad. And as we've talked about, pitch recognition, timing of his swing, everything. When you watch now, the at bats are just so much better. And I didn't see that with Adam LaRoche. I never saw something that to me was identifiably different where I said, wow, he's going to start to hit now, where I can see what he's doing with Pedro. I just, you know, even if it's harder for a fan or an observer to uh, to see pitch recognition, what you can see is what he's swinging at and what he's not swinging at. And he's not chasing stuff uh, down and away. He's not uh, getting handcuffed up and in or being late on some high fastballs. And look, he's going to strike out and he's going to have slumps. But it just seems so much better. And I don't know, you know, I wrote about this a little bit, that uh, Greg Ritchie had – there was some conversation that, that Greg Brown said again on the show Sunday, the Neil Huntington show, said that maybe it was – the idea was to really protect the outside part of the plate and don't get behind in the count there early uh, with some off-speed stuff away. Now, again, I'll just point – I'll just go back and say this is an issue that's existed for two-plus years, so I don't, I don't know that – you know, all of a sudden they find the magic bullet or this idea where they took the right field foul pole and said, you know, think of the foul poles being in right center, that all these things come together. But I will say, uh, and I think, you know, I don't think, that, I think it's inarguable that the last 40 at bats have been really good. And, and now, you know, the, the Pirates made the decision to move him into the number four hole. And as people have written about the lineup, well, all of a sudden the lineup starts to look mildly interesting. Uh, the problem still being the absolute black holes down at the bottom as you pointed out from the, from the very beginning of the season uh, certainly the last three spots and maybe you could argue the last four spots in this lineup are you just giving outs away you know every game yeah and not that the top of the lineup has been that well i mean it's been better but not that it's been good either uh we've got jose tabada who has hit better recently than he did at the beginning of the season but still has a six, 619 ops alex presley you know, largely escaped the wrath of Pirates fans early in the season because he wasn't one of the ones who was having a really, really bad first couple of weeks. But he right now has a 604 OPS. So it's really all over the lineup at this point. The Barmas and Barajas spots have been the worst, but it's it's by no means confined to them. Charlie, speaking of the Nationals, last night on national TV, Bryce Harper, uh, the talk of baseball, 10 games in the major leagues, has shown a great arm, great speed. I mean, the kid's going to be a great player, whether he stays up from here through the rest of his career, who knows. But batting in the three-hole last night, playing the Phillies, Cole Hamels, uh, I think the first pitch he sees, square in the middle of the back. And uh, Cole Hamels was throwing at Bryce Harper. And after the game, in something that you never hear, Cole Hamels said, yeah, you know, I'm kind of old school. I was throwing at him. Hey, welcome to the big leagues. This is how it is. And, yeah, I tried to hit him. Now, everybody, both the announcers, uh, I'm sure Bryce Harper and David Johnson, the Nationals manager, everybody knew he was throwing at him. And I would imagine most of those people were probably fine with it. He didn't go high. He's a 19-year-old kid. It kind of it is a welcome to the big leagues. But the difference is Cole Hamels admitted it. This is going to put Bud Selig in an odd position because we know guys throw at guys all the time. But never do guys go out and say, I intended to throw at guys. I, I think they got to suspend them. What do you think? Well, I, yeah, I, I would think that a, pro, a suspension is probably in order, and you, can, you, can't, you can't admit it, right? Um, as I'm looking at it here, I think maybe the last player to admit that he was throwing at somebody was Bobby Jenks, who was uh, throwing at Ian Kensler in 2009. And, and at the time, uh, Jenks said, I meant to, to send a message. Basically, I was saying I'm sick of seeing our guys get hit and hurt 
and almost taken out of the game. I threw it with intention. He was fined, but he was not uh, he was not suspended. So who knows what Major League Baseball is going to do? But I think they've got to consider suspending him, right? Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting because obviously, as you said, there's precedent right there. Uh, maybe it's a fine. That's nah, that's interesting stuff. Which reminds me, there were a couple anniversaries this year in baseball, and one was the game, I think it was 1973 or 74, when Doc Ellis hit three of the first, uh, three Reds with five of the first pitches he threw in a game. He was tired of the Reds, beating the crap out of the Pirates, decided he was going to take things into his own hand and just started firing at guys. And the reason it took five pitches is I think two of them went behind, you know, Joe Morgan. So uh, Doc decided to take things into his own hand, got thrown out of the game, went over after the game and you know, basically apologized to the Reds. But uh, Doc Ellis has done some interesting things, pretty, pretty great character in terms of pirate history. That, that's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, maybe, maybe he was high at the time. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Um, other stuff, Charlie, this week, just, uh, you know, we've seen maybe a drop off in the starting pitching. I mean, certainly 17 strikeouts, both by your pitchers and your batters in one week is a, an anomalous event. Uh, the Pirates continue to strike out a lot and not hit for much power. And in terms of the pitching, they come home and, I, you know, I don't want to say the Correa ugly home road uh, split raises its head again. But he did give up two home runs to right-handers, and Charlie Morton followed suit yesterday, giving up two home runs to right-handers. Uh, that's what you don't want to see from these guys. Uh, and, and, you know, again, not pushing the panic button. The starting rotation's been fantastic. But this time through, with Bedard getting, uh, with Burnett getting bombed, uh, Bedard, after a rough start, pitching fantastically well, uh, James McDonald's is really the only guy who gave the, the definition of a quality start. Yeah, um, you know, McDonald looked absolutely great, perhaps balancing some of the worst performances we've seen. But right, I don't really know what you can what you can get from it at this point. Um, I think we both knew that the rotation was not as as great as it seemed to be in the first few weeks of the season. So some kind of bounce back has to be expected a little bit. But yeah, I mean, the performances from uh, Morton and Correa aren't particularly encouraging. I don't think either of us are really expecting Correa to be, you know, a ro- rotation anchor down the stretch or anything like that anyway. What do you think of the season Morton is, is having so far, just in general? Well, I'll tell, you, uh, I'll tell you what Charlie thinks of it. He said he's going to go tinker with his sinker, and <laughs> he, sa- he said, that's, you know, that's my pitch. I got. I live and die on that pitch, and he's not pleased with it. So the answer, I think, more importantly than what you are, I think, is he's not pleased. And so, you know, I expect to see. And Charlie's a guy. You know, he went out in the bullpen. If you remember last year, when when things went bad a little bit later in the season than this, he went to Philadelphia and got absolutely bombed. And he talked about how before. And I had had him on the air a couple of times, and he talked about in the bullpen before that start, he went and worked on some things. And he was uh, changed his mechanics a little bit. And then he went out, and the first two guys got hits. And he reverted to form, and he got shell. And he said, yeah, i got to just trust what I have and go do it. So, I, you know, Charlie is a guy who really does tinker with his mechanics. And I expect he and Ray Searge to do some serious work here uh, as he throws in between starts. And I'm interested to see how he comes out in his next start, which will obviously looks like it will be now over the weekend against the Astros. But, yeah, he's a guy who I think has the highest variability of what his performance is going to be like the rest of the year. I think Burnett's going to be pretty good. I think Bedard's going to be pretty good. I think McDonald's going to be pretty good. 
Uh, you know, we have less faith in Correa, but I think Charlie's the high, high beta factor in terms of the starters. And, you know, he's going to get plenty of starts. He's going to, you know, he's going to be in the rotation, you know, all year, most likely. So not really worried from that perspective. But I am interested as a guy who's a bit of a student of the game and a student of his own mechanics to see what he does and then what he says about what he did. Yeah, uh, I think you're right, and that's why I kind of asked the question. Is that it's that he seems like the wild card, really? You know, for me, it's a, I've I've talked about how you know just everything seems so fragile with him, and you don't want things to get bent out of shape. But to make this clear about about why he needs to tinker with his sinker, which is an amazing phrase, by the way. Um, <laughs> in, uh, in in on April 20th against St. Louis, Morton lost, but he he pitched five innings. Uh, struck out six batters and allowed uh, two runs, one earned. He had ten ground balls, four fly balls. Next game against Colorado on the 25th, he pitched seven innings, pitched great, allowed one run, and he had 18 ground balls and five fly balls. So I think that's that's where he wants to be just in terms of a ground ball to fly ball ratio that's going to show you when the sinker is working and when it's not. So in his next start against St. Louis, and this is the one that the Pirates lost 10-7, to uh, Morton goes 4.1 innings, and he gets eight ground balls, ten fly balls, and then against Cincinnati uh, this weekend, he gets uh, six ground balls, seven fly balls. So I, I mean, it's it's not where he wants it to be in terms of of getting ground ball outs. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the right thing. And and uh, just to take us a different direction here, ground balls, fly balls. We're talking about strikeouts and walks, and we we've talked about how the staff has now done a better job. The bullpen certainly can get their strikeouts, so you know we've beaten that horse uh, plenty, and we're seeing the starters, the the three guys up front get their get their strikeouts. So the staff has done uh, a much better job. I think the last I looked, they were twelfth in the major leagues in in strikeouts per uh, plate appearance. So good on them. But again, we come back to this, and I'm just looking at the Pirates' starting lineup here, their, their standard starting lineup. And believe it or not, there's not a guy with 10 walks yet on the Pirates. And, you know, Walker has nine in 104 plate appearances. Uh, McCutcheon, McCutcheon has seven. Uh, so, you know, we go through this. Clint Barmes, and I, Barmes, and I, again, I hate to point out things from spring training, but Barmes has one walk in 91 plate appearances. You know, Presley has three walks in 108 plate appearances, and Tabata has five walks in 100 plate appearances. You know, if you're striking out all the time and you're not getting walks, it just makes it so much damn harder to score runs. And this is, a, you know, we I, we beat this horse a little bit with Josh Harrison last year, and Josh hasn't played very much. He's only had 29 plate appearances, but he has no walks. Uh, this team, it's it's really difficult, and this is gonna be this is gonna be something that uh, that and the fact that in my opinion they can't run they still run the bases uh, atrociously, and you know they're getting thrown out on the bases all the time. Uh, McCutcheon has uh, you know has five stolen bases with two caught stealings, but everybody else is at about fifty percent. Uh, you know you've got you've got uh, Tabata with four and four, you've got Presley with three and three, and, and they're not running well. So uh, you know those two things, basic fundamental stuff. You know. Plate discipline, not striking out and getting some walks, and not getting thrown out on the bases. Uh, you know the team is making it a lot harder on themselves. And until that changes, until those things are the Pirates do them better than most other teams, uh, they're giving away games and they're they're not going to be a 500 club. Right, and the the thing that really, I mean, not I, maybe worries me is not the right word because we're still certainly in sample size territory with some of these players, but. Uh, you know, somebody like Presley, 25 strikeouts to three walks, or Barmas, 21 strikeouts to one walk. If they were just in the midst of slumps 
and you know they were still uh, walking a fair amount. You might say, well, these are just slumps. These things happen. They'll get out of it. But when you have have ratios like this, it's just an indication that guys are just getting dominated. What about uh, the this uh, stolen bases to, to caught stealing ratios? We have Tabata with four to four, like you said. Uh, Presley with three to three. Does Tabata look as fast to you as he did when he first came uh, came up with the Pirates? Yeah, don't know. Don't know. One of the things that I find interesting about this team is that you know w- what we saw with Jason Bay and Nate McLeod. Uh, in their uh, peaks as pirates, those guys were great base mm-hmm. teams, yeah, and they really weren't good. fast guys. They're not fast guys. McCloud was reasonably fast. Bay was, you know, an average speed at best. But you love—I mean, I just love the fact that those guys would run 25 times and steal 21 or 22 bases. I think at one point Bay had 22 in a row. They are smart, efficient base stealers. Now, I, I don't think you can say that it's tougher today. I don't think it is tougher today. I think you know this isn't that long ago. We're talking no. in the past 10 years. And you have guys that clearly have better speed than those two guys in, in McCutcheon, Presley. Uh, and Tabata is, is at worst kind of in the same, same uh, pay grade. And, and so, you know, to me, it's disconcerting. It's, uh, some people are just smarter players, and that's, just, that's never going to change. But this is where teaching and instincts, you hope those things can come together. Uh, a player with good instincts, and I think Andrew McCutcheon has pretty good instincts. I think Alex Presley has pretty good instincts. Uh, you would hope with teaching that those guys would get better. But now, again, you know, these guys have been in the big leagues. Uh, you know, Presley's been up for a year now. But, you know, McCutcheon's been up for three years. Tabitha's been around for a while. Uh, I don't see improvement on the bases. Uh, so, so the answer is uh, hugely disappointing. And when Clint Hurdle talks about the fundamentals, uh, doing the fundamentals right, every, as every team says coming out of spring training, this is something that I, I have, you know, again, I will harp on as they don't do it well and they need to do it much better. Yeah, um, I, you know, you didn't really answer my question, so I'll, I'll just come out and, and say that I, just to me, and I'm, I'm kind of talking here without no, really knowing what's going on, but to me, Tabata does not appear as fast as he was a couple years ago. I'm not sure if that's just me and my eyes not being right or if that's that is in fact the case but that that is a possibility there but you're right i mean jason bay is not somebody with burning speed mcclough's a little bit of a faster player but he doesn't have the natural speed that that somebody like tabata has i don't think so you have to kind of wonder what what they were doing right and what what somebody like tabata is is doing wrong and you know it, it it probably comes down to to instincts a little bit or or you know just knowing how to play the game it might come down to the manager as well i think um you know clinton hurdle has just made up his mind in some ways that this team isn't really going to hit very much so we better try to do as much as we can on the bases and so far this year that's been counterproductive yeah i think that's a good point i think that's correct i think he has decided that now whether it's running judiciously or it's just we got to put guys in motion. We've seen, you know, we've seen Pedro Alvarez scoring a double, I think, from Barmas this last week uh, when he was in motion on a three-two pitch and mm-hmm. and uh, and scored easily on a double to the gap. So, you know, there have been times it's been successful. I don't mean to say that you know every decision is a dumb decision. I, I just would expect a better efficiency uh, for the Pirates on the basis. Charlie, uh, before, as we wrap things up here, uh, there were a couple things on the site that I think were really interesting. We got some good comments. So. Let's say that we are going to dedicate uh, one of our next two podcasts to the minor leagues. And I think there's been interesting stuff down there, particularly with the starting pitching. Rudy Owens, uh, Jeff Locke have been very good of late. Justin Wilson had the no-hitter. So there's been some interesting stuff at the, at the top of the minor league 
food chain that we haven't seen before. We expected last year. So we'll delve into that a bit on the next one. And then we'll look uh, further down and see where these hitting prospects are, which has been a, a bone of contention for a lot of people who've written about it uh, over the past week. Is It's four years in, and are we seeing the guys who should be the guys uh, now – starting to contribute, starting to filter through, are they there or aren't they there? And obviously some of this was spurred by the surprise retirement of Trent Stevenson, the Pirates' seventh-round pick in 2009. Yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah, seventh-round pick in 2009. And I I guess for me and and maybe for others who are are now being a little bit critical of this minor league system, the the, the 2009 draft is going to be the the sort of flashpoint because – Pirates took an unconventional strategy in that draft. They picked Tony Sanchez with the with the fourth overall pick, and and nobody but them really thought that he was worthy of that pick. And then in the later rounds, they they spent a bunch of money on high school pitching talent that, including Stevenson, that that by and large has not really panned out. So, you know, the thing is, I, I don't think anybody is saying at this point that this is a bad farm system. I don't think it's a bad farm system. Um, I think it's just on the right side of being good. And that to me is disappointing given that the Pirates have spent so much money and so many resources on the minor league system in the draft over the past four years. I think we should be seeing more than that. Um, with pitchers, you never really know, but but guys like Owens and Locke performing well, these are probably not impact players at the, at the major league level. So, you know, the fact that they're performing somewhat surprisingly well this year, uh, Owens in particular, is nice, but it's not something that's going to make or break a system. And what we really need is, is um, you know, guys emerging to be very good prospects. And you would think that would happen given all the, the big bonuses the Pirates have, have doled out, not with everybody, but with a couple of players. But by and large, it really just hasn't happened. All right. Well, listen, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate the feedback. The more feedback, the better. Uh, some questions on the on the site that we will continue to get to. And you can always email either of us. Um, and you can follow Charlie on Twitter at Bucks Dugout. You can follow me at DT on Pirates. Thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast.